Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? All is good, Kevin. All is good. Pleased to hear that. You might hear a bit more noise than usual. That's because we're filming it. Uh, filming. <laughs> I've, upgraded, <laughs> I've upgraded this to Glamorous, Kieran. We're recording this uh, quite late on the uh, Friday night for operational reasons. Uh, the door's still open because the Living cat won't come in. It's because Ali's not here. You see, one word from Ali, and then in comes the cat. She just stares at me defiantly. So you can hear a bit of outside noise. It's questions, though, Kieran. We have some news stories, though. And the first news story, Kieran, is that we're having a short break. Uh, nothing to worry about. It's only 10 days. And of course, we wouldn't leave you bereft of outstanding podcast, but so far not award winning content. So we've got, um, we've got a couple of normal questions pods coming up for you um so next monday will be a normal question pod on thursday we have a fantastic interview with chloe horrocks who organizes the travel for manchester united football club it's full of insight and information and the encouraging news that some of the best players in the country are all right at not forgetting their passports (laughs) that's as far as chloe would commit herself to that question and then uh, Next week's news pod will be replaced by our, our nostalgic look back at the start of the Premier League, which includes um, a highly charged and exciting interview with James Brown from Loaded. So we're not away long, and arguably the pods that we're doing as replacements are probably better than the ones we, you and I would have done anyway, Kieran. To be honest. Yeah, at least we're not moaning about how, how, <laughs> how depressing football is <laughs> as far true. as more lunatics yeah. Um, yeah. In, in charge of the asylum. Yes, uh, Chloe's interview is fantastic, as we'll discuss yes. later on, but it, it's worth it for several things alone. Just her, <laughs> don't get me started on Brexit, she said, but also also the fact that while the rest of us are anxiously waiting for extra time and penalties for the excitement, she's just going mad at the referee. It's, um, <laughs> anyway, news stories, proper news stories, Kieran. Um, the first one involves Manchester United Football Club, and uh, uh, I don't think it's any more than a slap on the wrist, but... News that came through only moments before we came on air, Kieran. Yes, uh, Manchester United have been charged with a breach of financial fair play rules. Um, they say that this is in relation. Manchester United have said we we disagree with the verdict. It's all to do with trying to work out how much money clubs lost during lockdown. Now, uh, UEFA seem to say. Well, Manchester United only lost £15 million, which clearly is nonsense because they have certainly a full year. Manchester United, I think, are claiming over a quarter of a billion. So the the, the, the correct figure, possibly somewhere in the middle. Um, so they've been fined uh, a few hundred thousand euro. Um, Manchester City fans, of course, given the nature of football tribalism, have said, does this mean there should be an asterisk over Manchester United winning the Rumbelows Cup this year? Uh, which, I, which I thought was actually pretty good, given the, the sales of asterisks in the Trafford section of Manchester and also most of Merseyside um, in, in recent months. So it, it's good to see that, that terrorist humour uh, still applies. So the nature and the quantum of the fine, I think, is indicative of it's slap on the wrist, 
Um, I think people are just trying to forget as much as, as they can with regards to COVID and let's all move on. So no points deductions, no disqualification from the competition, um, a financial penalty. Um, I'm sure if uh, the Premier League gives Manchester City a similar amount of financial penalty, they'll be equally happy about it. This next story, Kieran, I have to say, we've spoken about a couple of stories recently that have gone under the radar. and I wouldn't have seen this unless a friend of mine on a WhatsApp group who loves the pod hadn't said, you might be interested in this story. And he sent me through, it's less a news story than a quite long charge sheet, Kieran, and it involves Barnsley, but no one seems to be talking about what seems to me to be a quite serious story. Well, it is serious and it's not. Okay. Barnsley have been through a change of ownership um, and the EFL are these days extremely strict and we, we saw Birmingham City, for example, have a suspended points deduction a few months ago when it appeared that they had a couple of people running the club who at the times were not formal directors but were acting as directors in, in the sense that they were running the club on a day-to-day basis. So you're absolutely right. The charge sheet initially looks quite long, um, and the EFL have certainly tightened up their regulations. They, they've just had their AGM, and um, what they are now saying, in addition to you've got to be very clear as to who's running the club, it's to stop clubs from saying, a deal has been agreed to sell the club to Joe Bloggs and Co, subject to approval from the EFL. Because, of course, that instantly means all of the fans think, yay, hey, Joe Bloggs is coming in. And if nothing happens after a week or two, they're going, come on, EFL, get your finger out. Why, why haven't you done it? And it, these things do take time. Um, and we've seen in the case of Morecambe, um, when effectively somebody was being linked with buying the club, and that was before Christmas, is that things are not always as they are made out to be. And uh, my understanding, and you know, we, we've, we're on good relations with the EFL, we're on good relations with quite a few lawyers as well, okay. and you know, clearly we, we won't breach any confidences. My understanding is that the view of the EFL is that if somebody shows them the cash and somebody shows them a budget which looks realistic, then they will say, let's, let's just get, up. Let's get it on. You know, let's, let, let's dance. And, uh, and, and the transfer goes through. And we've, we've, seen, uh, we've seen new ownership come in at Huddersfield. We've also seen new ownership come in at Birmingham City in the last few days with, with Shelby Ventures. Um, so it, it can be done. Um, but I think the reason why the rule has been changed is, is to keep a bit of the heat off uh, EFL. I mean, I'm I'm being uh, I'm I'm getting messages most days through through private messages and emails from from very you know, concerned Leeds fans and absolutely understand that yeah. nobody likes uncertainty, nobody likes an information vacuum. But clearly, there there has been talk of a takeover by the San Francisco 49ers, and the internet and social media loves a vacuum, and they fill that with. Well, this is a deliberate plot by the EFL who have got a vendetta against Leeds and they're trying to make things awkward for us. And they're not. The EFL just want to get things done. But there's always a reason. And there's normally a a, a good reason. And in, in the case of Leeds United, 
Um, I absolutely understand the frustration of the fans. But at the same time, you've only go, got to go back to the the game of musical chairs that Leeds United had in terms of ownership. You know, first of all, they, they, the Peter Ridsdale years where, where the club was effectively being run on a credit card mm. um, and nobody got round to paying it. You know, that left a legacy. And then the club went through a series of different owners with different objectives and relatively few of them will had the best interests of Leeds United and the fan base at heart. So the EFL are trying to protect the club from potentially dangerous owners. There's no evidence of uh, San Francisco 49ers being in that category, by the way. So I, I, do, I do have some sympathy for them. And I think this rule change is to try to give them just a bit of leeway, just allow them to get on with their job without uh, you know pressure coming on the EFL and uh, emails being you know, sent in on, on a regular basis saying, why is my club being sold? Mm. Uh, I think I think it might be best if we discourage Peter Ridsdale from listening to the second part of the James Brown interview. Because <laughs> uh, not only will his ears be burning, but <laughs> um, there's a couple of things arising from that, Kieran. We, you, know, you know Trevor Birch better than I do, but I've, I've met Trevor. and He's a very interesting, charming, intelligent man. I can't imagine any circumstances in which Trevor Birch would go, all right, let's dance. <laughs> uh, I, I just can't see, that, can't see that happening. Really. Um, Joe Bloggs, uh, Joe Bloggs, Kieran and I are here to tell you that Joe Bloggs is an absolute wrong one. Don't let Joe Bloggs know <laughs> near your club. And that, as we do have a lot of legal friends, I, I would like to point out that any relationship to a real Joe Bloggs is entirely coincidental. Yeah, if you're listening, Joe, I point love Joe's. And thirdly, this is why I'm not a journalist, story because Kieran, because I saw that story about Barnsley, and I thought, I'm going to have to tell the Telegraph or the Times or the Guardian to make a fortune. Someone's got to know about this story, and it turns out it's all right, actually. So there's nothing for the Barnsley fans to worry about. Yes. Yeah, I think I think FA... I mean, I, I put out a story this morning about FIFA um, and the amount of money that they'd given to individual clubs. And then somebody pointed out that the map of Wales on the FIFA website is upside down. And they, and, and they had Cardiff and Swansea in Anglesey, which will give a bit of a shock to people in Hollyhead. Um, so, so I put that out. A couple of journalists got in contact. Um, and then uh, 20 minutes later, there's a rather rapid change on the FIFA website. And, and Wales, Wales has been returned to, to where it should be pointing. All that money that FIFA owes you, you should have left Wales the, the way it was pointing anyway. Imagine, <laughs> yes. uh, I've, I've been to, imagine if the Cardiff-Swansea derby was accidentally played in Holyhead. Oh, lordy. Uh, Kieran, we, um, we talk a lot about clubs uh, that have outstanding debt. But if we were to ask our tens of thousands of listeners uh, to name a couple of clubs that currently have outstanding debt, I'm guessing that this particular club wouldn't be on anyone's list. I'm guessing this is an ITV7 buster, this one. <laughs> yes, <it> essentially. <laughs> yes, uh, I think this is rather embarrassing for Al Nasser, mm. uh, where Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo now plies his trade um, on a salary rumoured to be squillions of pounds a year. Um, they have been banned by FIFA from registering players due to outstanding debt. And whilst I think we, we have been critical of FIFA at times, they have some good people doing good things. And one of the good things that they do is that they they act as um, football's policemen 
in terms of transfers of players from one country to another. And you know, our focus, as, as is the parochial nature of, of most football fans, is all on the Premier League and the EFL and the SPFL and so on. Um, but if you are a club in Albania, if you're in a club in, uh, you know, in Thailand and you sell a player to a club in Saudi Arabia and you agree a fee, there's an assumption that that fee will be paid. Well, that's not always the case. And, and working uh, you know, on some projects and seeing data from the likes of FIFA Pro and, and the FIFA website itself, lots of clubs are buying players in the sense of transferring the registration, but not paying fees on the due date. So what FIFA have now said is that if you go down that route and you don't pay outstanding fees, and I think this is, yeah, this, this does not reflect well on Al Nasser. If they can afford to, to pay Cristiano Ronaldo three million pounds a week, then they should be able to go and find a, a relatively small transfer fee. Or is this a classic case of looking after the big people and stiffing the small ones? So they now have um, a, a transfer ban um, and therefore rumours of certain players f- going from the Premier League to Al Nasser will have to be put on hold until this is dealt with. No doubt they will claim it was an admin mistake, um, but uh, normally I, I find a phone call or an email that deals with ad- administrative errors um, and it looks like they've been dragging this one out. Does, doesn't look too clever, uh, especially that given that the Saudi Pro League wants to establish itself within the world's top 10 and uh, make itself attractive to to players and, and managers and chief executives alike. Mm. I'm going to enjoy saying this, Kieran, but uh, anything for Al Nasser fans to worry about? You? Uh, I, I think, think yeah. they're relatively relaxed. Okay. Uh, I, I, right. I don't think the administrators are likely to be coming in um, and uh, sort of uh, repossessing Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, that's that's good news because if there are any Al Nasser fan groups out there who have worries, then we will happily talk to you. And of course, we'll get in touch with somebody from the club and see if they would like to <laughs> yes <laughs> to answer your fears. Our first question, Kieran, uh, comes from Christian Whelan, and it's about a club we were at not too long ago. Actually, mm. um, uh, we couldn't tell whether they had electronic ad boards then because um, all we could see was adverts for Rod Stewart. Because uh, the picture's up. But Christian Whelan said this. When I first started watching my club, Plymouth Argyle, in the 2000s, electronic... That sounds like a pulp song, doesn't it? When I watched Plymouth... In, in it. Anyway, electronic <laughs> ad boards were the preserve of the wealthiest Premier League elite. Now you see them as far down the pyramid as Bristol Rovers and Lincoln City. <laughs> I love the fans. Even The fact that even subconsciously fans can't help having to go at a local team as far down the pyramid as Bristol Rovers. Um, I assume electronic ad boards massively increase your revenue generating potential. So why doesn't every club install them? And what could be the reason we haven't installed them at home park? Um, there is the potential with the electronic ad boards to increase revenue. But I've got to be honest, I think what we've seen at Bristol Rovers and Lincoln City is a bit of future proofing, i.e. both clubs are ambitious. Both clubs are hoping to get into the championship. And, and in my view, Below the top two divisions, the the target audience tends to be local rather than global. So, right. if, if we take a look at the Premier League, we know we know not only are ad, uh, adverts taking place, but now due to the the wonders of technology, you or I could be at the Amex or and Selhurst, and we could be watching a, an advert going through the perimeter boards for you know, Vitality Insurance. 
But what the viewers are seeing in Thailand or, or Beijing or, or Nairobi or wherever else will be a completely different advert because that we now have the ability to uh, to use technology to to change what people are seeing. Um, and uh, so it, it works in the Premier League because it's going out to 190 different countries. It doesn't really work at League One or League Two level. In the Championship, you know, with the number of matches which are being broadcast by Sky, you know, the fact that next season... Uh, the championship is is looking pretty brutal. You know, Leeds, yeah, yeah. United, Southampton, yeah, Leicester have just come down. We've got big clubs, Middlesbrough and Sunderland. We've just seen Plymouth Argyle go up. It's, um, it's, Sheffield Wednesday have gone up. Yeah, it's it's Ipswich. It's, it's it's going to be an absolutely cracking division to to keep tabs on next season. And I think that will be reflected in a attendances and b the viewing figures for Sky. Um, below that, you've got to do a cost benefit analysis. How many local companies are likely to to want to have adverts? Um, how much is it going to cost to install the uh, the LED adverts uh, advertisement scheme? You've got the running costs of it, and I suspect quite a few clubs have uh, done their sums and said, "Well, we'll, we'll wait. We wait until we've got promoted." I, I did speak to somebody um, at Plymouth um, yeah. who we will call the Secret Pilgrim. Um, and they said, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's not, it's not quite there for last season, but it could be there for this season. Mm. Uh, I think it was just a week or two ago, Kieran, that you said season ticket sales in the championship are through the roof, aren't they? Oh, yeah. They've they're been absolutely, absolutely amazing. Um, there, there is, I think there's a genuine excitement about the season ahead. We're again, we're, we're now, you know, two years beyond COVID. Um, people are making tough decisions with regards to how they spend their discretionary income. I think clubs have to be careful because uh, Leeds United are charging up to £45 for for home fans Mm. to watch matches in the championship and also £45 to £47 for away fans. And you know, we've got in the Premier League, and I don't think I don't think it's fair to say that we're lucky because we, we have an awful lot of kickoff change as, as Leeds United will have next season, no doubt. Um, you know, the football associate, the football supporters association have the twenties plenty campaign. The Premier League have now capped away ticket prices at thirty pounds for five or six seasons. Um, it does seem a bit incongruous that you can watch. Liverpool versus Manchester City in the away end for £30. Mm. And if you're going to watch Leeds United at home to, let's say, uh, QPR, it's going to cost you 47 as a QPR fan. I, I, you can imagine that, crazy. And also, I think it's it's harsh on Leeds United fans buying individual tickets as well. Um, you know, they're they they've supported their club magnificently the amount of noise that they make um and and this does seem a pretty pretty steep price i don't know if advertisers have ever considered people like me as i know i'm not the only one but i'm so bar humbug about new things like electronic scoreboards that i refuse to buy anything advertised on them so i i will get my insurance from anyone other than i tell you, i just make a mental note as a new advert comes up at Sellers Park, which we, you inevitably notice because there's rarely much going on in the goal mouth, you go, right, I'm taking that off the list. Even if it's something I want, I'll take Even if there's an advert for Guinness, that's it. I would give up Guinness rather than drink it because it's advertised on a huge electronic. So somebody tried to convince me the other day that in, in, within two years, the technology will be such that 
clubs won't have sponsors across the front of the shirt. They'll have a little green screen that individual TV companies did. But anyway, that's, that's for another made-up pod. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Connor Palmer has a very, all our questions are interesting, but this one I think is a particularly interesting one when it comes to FFP. And uh, some of our listeners are as imaginative about finding ways around it as you can be, Kieran, if you have to. And Connor says, I was thinking about the methods club used to raise revenues, and I have two questions. Firstly, is there anything stopping clubs entering competitions such as lotteries and non-footballing gambling competitions to raise revenue? And secondly, with the rise of investment funds owning clubs, are there any deterrents or regulations which stop clubs having investment departments to raise more revenue? And if not, how would this be treated using FFP? I mean, every club that's got a foundation, that foundation will have somebody whose job it is to try and get investment in. So is there a reason why a club can't do that, Kieran? Um, theoretically, no. I, I think what would happen is that if a club was seen to be employing a, a treasury department to to manage monies um, and that was successful, the chances are there would be an emergency meeting of the Premier League or the EFL to say, we ought to be judging football on football rather than having some whiz kid, as far as the stock market is concerned, <coughs> playing with the uh, pl- playing with next season, season ticket receipts and yeah. and putting it all on red. Uh, as far as the stock market is concerned, so it, it's it's a strange one. Yeah, you know, just as I always say to people, um, you know, you wouldn't put all of your salary on scratch cards, and it, you could win, but the chances are you'll lose. When it comes to clubs putting money into lotteries, um, again, that that comes at a high risk. I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think the board of directors could look themselves in in, in, in the eye. Uh, given the the risks involved, so um, it's not 
impossible. Um, we have seen some strange things take place, such as Roman Abramovich, who, um, you know, we, we're not here to judge Roman Abramovich. And ultimately, we, we don't know whether he's a, he was a good guy or a bad guy. I think he, he probably did some very good things in his time at Chelsea and some things which perhaps uh, are, are less less meritous. But what you can say is that he he was pretty generous to Chelsea Football Club. and. They went and stung him for a million pounds a year for his season ticket, and yeah, you know, that that would be another way of raising money in in a strange manner, um, you know. And given that the all all that he did, which was you know put in, he put, he put on in on average about forty five million pounds a year into the club to subsidise it. You think they yeah they give him a free car park and a and a free program at half time as opposed to charging him a million quid for the privilege of looking enigmatic uh, in all photographs yeah i'd look enigmatic for a tenor uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's a time on that sort of face so i can't really look enigmatic really as ali keeps telling me when i try and come up with a feeble excuse for one three hours later home and i said i would be um i always remember the look on the face of my accountant kieran little bobby numbers when I had one of those years that freelance people often have, and you have a, you have a really really good year, and the next year is is all right, but not so good, and you end up owing the tax people a little bit of money. And we were we were going to meet the nice tax people to talk about how I was going to uh, pay the shortfall, and he said they will ask you, they will say, what have you got in place to try and get as much of this uh, to them before the meeting? And I went scratch cards, and. <laughs> he, it's a close, he said it's the closest he's ever come to suggesting I get another lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, Very statistically, wise. Bobby, come on, statistically, if I buy 100, you've got to get 110 quid out of that, surely. I'll offer, in fact, I'll offer them the scratch cards. What if I offer them the scratch cards? <laughs> and if they've got a sense of the sportsmanship, the tax person will go, all right, we'll take the scratch cards, and we could be ahead, and you could be ahead. But apparently HMRC don't work like that. Bobby numbers forcibly pointed out to me. Uh, Ethan Kirkpatrick is a Southampton fan, and he has a, a question about his club's uh, owners and shareholders. Ethan Kirkpatrick says, um, Southampton's 20% shareholder, Katerina Liebherr, had her shares diluted last year. What does it mean to have your shares diluted? And what does it all mean for Dragan Sholak and Sport Republic's 80% share? Right. Um let, let's take a look at this. Let's say that we, we've got a company, we've got Southampton, and it has 10 shares. Effectively, ten. You, you've cut Southampton into 10 slices. Um, and Katharina Lieber has two of those slices. Now, when her share is diluted, what, what's happened here is that Southampton have given some new shares to Dragon Solak. Um, so let's say that they, they issue uh, another five shares. Now, previously, uh, Katerina had two out of 10 shares. So her share was 20%. They've now given or issued some new shares to Dragon Solak. So as a result of that, Southampton have issued five new shares and Katerina Liebar now has two out of 15 shares. Oh. So that works out as around about you know, two fifteens is what, one, one seven and a half. It's about, uh, about 14%. So her her percentage share in Southampton has decreased, and that's what we refer to as a dilution. And sometimes this happens. I think this this may have happened with regards to Amanda Staveley 
and Newcastle United. There's all types of stories going around with regards to that, for example. Um, and it, it is quite common, especially when you have a shareholder who isn't necessarily looking for an exit route, but doesn't want to have any more active involvement as far as the, the football club is concerned. And what happens is the proportion of the club that that owns uh, decreases over a period of time as the club issues more and more new shares to to uh, other shareholders. Oh, I see. So this would be something that was done with uh, Katerina Lieber's knowledge and permission rather than um, an attempt to outflank her and edge her out of the club. Yeah, there's nothing untoward here. Right, okay, you know, okay. I think it's uh, it, it's simply a case of she didn't want to put any more money in. Dragon Solak did. Um, the club wanted the money, and she said, "Well, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let you do it." Uh, she, she wasn't going to make a lot of money from Southampton anyway, and she's she's now got um, a smaller slice of a bigger pie. So, so, are there no circumstances in which it would be easier just then to sell, to buy her out completely? Um, yes, I mean that would have been an alternative, but the downside of that would be that let's say that Southampton wanted an extra ten million pounds. If Dragon Solak bought the shares of Katarina Lieber, she'd get that ten million pounds as opposed uh, to the football uh, club. Right. So, so you know, there's when there are share issues, it, it's very much a case of where does that money end up? Um, and from the club's point of view, they want it in their coffers because they've got bills to pay. Yeah, our next question, Kieran, is, is sort of on the cusp between financial and legal. So I would understand if you wanted to defer it to the next time we talk to one of our silver tongue friends, as we will certainly do. But it comes from Christopher Devaney, and Christopher Devaney says, what would a footballer have to do to be sacked? Does normal employment law apply to them? Yes. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo effectively walked out of his workplace while on duty twice last season. Could that have been classed as misconduct like it would if I did it in my job? Um, yes, a, a footballer can be sacked for gross misconduct. Now, the definition of gross misconduct is not set in stone. So if a football club was unhappy with an employee, and this could be the case with a footballer, this could be a case with a manager. I mean, and got to hold my hand up here. Um, you know, Brighton had a bit of an issue with Gus Poyer many yeah. years ago. And uh, there was, I think he was on, uh, I think he was doing the World Cup with, with Chappers, wasn't he? And yeah. uh, the, the announcement came in and there was a classic, me? I've never heard about this, uh, from uh, from Mr. Poirier. Um, and it, it, it comes now down to the lawyers in terms of behaviour. Uh, football clubs don't want to be seen to be losing their assets. Um, if somebody is behaved in an appropriate way, there are potential exit routes. Um, we've seen, you know, we'd be careful what we say here, but in the case of Benjamin Mendy, uh, I, I believe that Manchester City, have, uh, they didn't terminate his contract, but they, they didn't pay him for a period of time uh, following charges that were made against him and that he's now been released from his contract uh, when, when that terminated. So different clubs will take different steps uh, yeah, we've got uh, we, we've got even Tony at, uh, at Brentford. Uh, you know, he's been suspended for eight months. Is he is he going to be paid during that period or not? I, I suspect he probably is. Yeah, you know, if he'd been injured, he'd be expected to be paid. So it, it comes down to individual circumstances. I think the clubs have to be uh, measured in their response. If they're just trying to 
cut costs, then they'll probably be pushing for gross misconduct. If we take a look at the the case of Derby County, when um, they're they, they had three players who were involved in a car crash um, following a bonding evening. Um, the uh, the person who was left in the car um, by the two people who fleed, he was sacked by the club for gross misconduct, um, despite the fact that he couldn't drive and he wasn't driving the car which crashed into a lamppost. Uh, he was sacked by the club and the club effectively said, well, he's, he's 33 years old. We wouldn't have got very much for him in the transfer market. The two guys who scarpered were kept on because the club felt that they had value. So you know, that, I think, sort of encapsulates the, the dilemma that clubs have. And also um, anybody with any sort of moral or ethical compass might look at that particular issue and, uh, and and the player subsequently did sue Derby County and, mm-hmm. and won substantial damages for, for not uh, you know, for not being in, in uh, breach of conduct in, in terms of gross misconduct um, but it, it it gets very messy mm. uh, Davil Zenden has our next question um, and it's another interesting one Davil Zenden's been been having a think and he says a couple of questions came into my mind recently about all the ideas that the Americans have about game 39, etc. Would it make sense for English reserve team games to be played in the US or perhaps the League Cup semi-finals? This would protect the League Cup from being canned and with reserve games, it would have less impact on UK fans but would still allow Americans to see upcoming stars and established players coming back from injury. I, I think the, the wind is blowing in the direction, Kieran, that somewhere along the line in the next two to three seasons, we will be seeing a game played abroad somewhere but this is quite a constructive way of, of looking at it i think from david wasn't it uh, it is i mean i think what you would have to do is to consider the the cost versus benefit analysis um you know we we've interviewed uh, chloe horrocks from manchester united and she was saying that for a, for a normal away trip you're, you're probably looking at you know, 55 people for a domestic match it could be twice that for an international yeah. match so, so that's an awful lot of airfares. Um, how much money are you going to generate from a reserve game? How many American fans realistically are going to turn up? Because if I put my hand on my heart, I don't go to watch Brighton's under-23s. Mm. And I suspect you don't go to watch Palace's under-23s on a regular basis. <laughs> and, and we live pretty close. Yeah, so always, so um... why should somebody from the USA give up their hard-earned cash to to take a look at some 19-year-old kid from South London or Manchester or Merseyside who they've, they've never heard of just because he happens to be wearing a shirt of a club which they've got a, a vague interest in. So I, I don't think that would work. However, cup finals, cup semifinals, I mean, the League Cup semifinals, I think is an intriguing one. Yeah. I think the Italian Super Cup or the, the Spanish Super Cup is now going to be taking place in Riyadh. Um, so you know, there's there's money to be made there. Uh, there'll be a hosting fee. The clubs will be able to make more money. Um, we are seeing clubs more and more uh, have fairly extensive pre-season tours, and they, they can be very lucrative. Again, if we go back to Manchester United, who sort of set a gold standard. If you take a look at their accounts for the last pre the last season pre-COVID, the club made around about fifteen million pounds from pre-season friendlies in terms of hosting fees. Um, so if they can do that for a friendly, 
could there be pressure on UEFA to host the the Champions League? Why does the Champions League have to be in Europe, for example? You know, could it could it take place in Asia? Could it take place in the United States? Um, if if the money's right, then people are always willing to have a conversation. And as always, the interests of the fans will come last. We, we've seen that in both the uh, in the Champions League final, the treatment of fans for Manchester City this year, for Liverpool in the previous season, the the relatively lack of tickets available to to West Ham fans when they made the Conference final this year. So um, when when it comes to deals, uh, it's commercial interests tend to come first, and fans' interests come to, tend to come a long way behind. You're absolutely right, Kieran. I, regrettably, I don't. I get along to the occasional cup game if the under 18s or under 21s are doing well, but I don't get along to many, which is really annoying because there's two blokes in the Porsons' arms and one bloke on one of our WhatsApp groups who, purely because they have no other social life, Kieran, go to just about every Palace game that's played by any age group. And we'll, when we're discussing why we're not buying new players, they'll just go, I don't understand why we don't give Johnny Newboy a chance. Because he's 15. You're only saying that because you said these are the sort of people that went to Rotherham for midweek evening games Yes, when you, when I was nine. And they're still reminding me of the fact that I wasn't there. So that every club's got them. Um, Chris Hunter, I'm going to ask this question, Kieran. It's it's one that we have discussed um, in, the, in the abstract sort of thing. And mm. I'd be happy if you... If you gave this a sort of yes/no answer, if you think, because it is something that is worrying people, increasingly so, for obvious reasons, and it comes from Chris Hunter, who says, "What would happen if fourteen clubs in the Premier League were US owned, and they decided to vote as a block? Could they start changing the rules to suit them, change the TV revenue split, even change relegation?" And I, I know your view is that that's extremely unlikely, Kieran. So I'm happy for you to praise that if you want. Well, um, we certainly could have 14 clubs owned by US owners or even Middle East owners or even owners from Africa or Asia. Um, they, they don't necessarily all have the same interests, though. We, we, uh, I think there's a, there's a danger of morphing club owners on the basis of their geographical birthplace into being, well, therefore they must all think the same. And they don't necessarily have a hive mind like the Borg in Star Trek. You know, that they, that there, there is independent thought there as well. Um, could they change the rules to suit them? Yes. I mean, we, we saw this in terms of changing the TV revenue split when Leicester City won the Premier League in 2016. And the reaction of the Big Six, Greedy Six, Super League Six, Sneaky Six, whatever you want to call them, and I've called them a few other things as well, um, they, they put pressure at that time on the other 14 clubs to give them more money. And they said, if you don't do that, we'll go off and form our, our, our European Super League. They used the, the Super League threat as a negotiating tool. Um, there's, that could happen um, in the case of having 14 owners who are effectively acting in concert. Now, in theory, the, uh, the, Premier, the FA Premier League Limited actually has 21 shares 20 shares are owned by the individual clubs and the 21st share is owned by the Football Association. Now, the Football Association is supposed to be the guardian of the English game. Um, so it's got this golden share, which to a certain extent is, is a power of veto. So it could therefore utilise that power. 
Um, we did see in Project Big Picture, which was the attempt by the Glazers and the owners of Liverpool to take control of the domestic game for A, there'd be a change in distribution, B, the Premier League would be reduced to 18 teams, and C, um, relegation would be just two teams from the Premier League. And the third relegation or the third spot would go back. Remember in the late 80s, it used to be the side finishing third bottom of the top division would be in a playoff against the sides finishing third, fourth and fifth in the equivalent of the championship. Uh, But given the financial benefit that the the Premier League has, you would expect that Premier League club to to win or or preserve its position on more occasions than it's going to go down. So we we have seen that before, Um, but also within Project Big Picture, there was a £100 million gift to the Football Association from the people behind the, the project. Um, now, a cynic, Kevin, would say that that's, that's not a gift, that, that's a bribe in order to keep your mouth shut, in order to not use your golden veto. Now, we're not cynics, of course, on the price of football, but uh, you know, money, uh, money does sometimes change people's minds. And you know, let, let's not be hypocrites. If, if we're offered to do the 39th podcast of the price of football from Riyadh for a million pounds, we'd have to have a serious conversation about it. Uh, uh, and you know, we, we, we don't know what the outcome of that would be, but it would certainly be a sufficient amount of money to, to, to make things more awkward. So, so that's where we are. Could it take place? Yes. Um, is this further evidence that an independent regulator, and I've not said that for a few weeks, that an independent regulator um, can be there to to act as that backstop to to preserve? Because I think there is a lack of confidence in in many areas of football in the football association, which which its main focus is in the England team and grassroots. Um, is it actually that bothered about what's happening in the professional game itself? I wish I hadn't been so sarky about Al Nasser earlier, because <laughs> we're much less likely to get that offer from Riyadh now, aren't we? I, I know your your integrity is such, Kieran, that if that offer were to come in, I would send you a postcard um, with whatever second-rate financial football expert I've I decided to take with me to share the, the million quid. The you talk of bribes, Kieran, in inverted commas. As we've discussed, not non-bribes, non-bribes, non-bribes. No, non-bribes so uh, non-bribes, not in inverted commas. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll leave bribes in inverted commas and not talk about bribes, and we'll go into non-bribes. But it, as discussed recently, it's, it's going to be harder for the FA to use that golden veto if they do indeed sell their broadcasting rights to the Premier League. Is it not? You're absolutely right. Um, it, it, they then become that then become dependent upon exactly. the Premier League's negotiating skills. And if the Premier League come back and say, well, you know, we've tested out the markets and the markets are very, very amenable to a midweek FA Cup from the fourth round onwards, mm. um, there's no evidence of enthusiasm for replays. So therefore, we need to get rid of them. And uh, the final of the FA Cup, people are bored of the final of the FA Cup at Wembley. Um, we think it should be going on a rotating basis. Now, I think, to be fair, I think the final was always likely to stay, but 
yeah. the semi-finals. Neutral ground doesn't have to be in England, surely. No, Let's see again, wheels within wheels. How it's back to Devil's Endings question. Yeah. Our final question for today, Kieran, uh, is an interesting one. I think for both Wolves fans and non-Wolves fans, non-Wolves fans tend to talk about Wolves a lot in the, the, the relationship they have with a particular super agent. That seems to be something mm. that, that agitates Wolves fans. But this is a question from a, a Wolves fan agitated by something completely different. It comes from Dan Morgan. Uh, and Dan Morgan says, my question is about my team, Wolverhampton Wanderers. We've been owned by the Chinese, and these are Dan's quotes, multinational conglomerate holding company, Fosun International, since 2016. One thing that gets our fans wound up is the use of the brand in venturing into other avenues, such as Wolves in the Chinese fashion industry, brackets, yes, really, eSports and Wolves records. eSports, says Dan, is the most controversial. There is a perception amongst our fans that Wolves' interest in this field is at the expense of investment in the first team. Are you able to shed any light on the finances behind the Wolves eSports venture? Well, there's there's not a set of accounts specifically that I've managed to find for the Wolves eSports. But what I have done is that I've, I've taken a look at the, the money available for success uh, in eSports. Now, if you win the... Uh, if you win the Carabao Cup, I think you get a hundred grand. If you win the Call of Duty esports competition, you get two point four million dollars. Wow. If you win the Fortnite competition, it's two million dollars. Now, you and I, we've we've been playing Zelda since it came out on the Switch, mm. uh, and yeah, you know, we're quite happy that we've now got into Village Number Three. Um, and and we've got some task which involves uh, trying to sing a song to a tree um, in order to get some free apples or something equally benign. These kids have completed it in in about four hours. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they they are very good. They are very talented. But most of them are, are quite happy to do it for a share of the prize money. They, 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 and uh, you know they're, they're happy to wear the wolves shirt, but. It's not like football where you effectively register an esports player for a four or five year contract. So there is a lot of poaching taking place. Um, a lot of the, the esports players themselves are fans of individual clubs and they quite like the idea of representing the team that they support. Uh, but esports e- is, is much bigger in terms of the revenues that, that people watch. You've only got to look at the, the amount of people watching using streaming. You look at the YouTube channels. You look at uh, uh, the fact that it's one of the programs, and I've forgotten which is, where people can watch you play a video game yeah. and they will pay for the privilege of doing so. So there is, there is technology around. Um, there's a case for saying... It's logical for football to get involved because uh, the what used to be known as the FIFA uh, EA Sports game, FIFA have now terminated, or the the, the FIFA have now terminated that relationship, which I think is. Uh, I read the Times today. Martin Ziegler was saying one of the dumbest decisions made uh, by FIFA, and that's 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 quite a lot quite a lot of competition there in amongst there. Mm. Um, but there there is an awful lot of money circulating. Um, I would say that. Wolves are being quite canny in getting involved because there is a big uh, interest in esports in in Asia uh, by getting involved early, by getting a good brand uh, name. Um, I think actually it could be financially beneficial rather than a financial loss maker. 
Yeah, what you need to do, Kieran, is you need to find one of the four willow trees uh-huh. and, and you give an apple to the willow tree, which uh-huh. will then lead to something very interesting. Wow. Basically. <clears throat> I feel slightly ashamed of myself. That's why I lowered my voice. <laughs> to we are men of a certain age. I don't care, Kieran. I, as far as I'm concerned, and I keep saying this to people, uh, playing games on the Switch is improving my hand-eye coordination. So uh, it's almost like, in fact, I, I believe our good friend Dr. Martin Soul uh, insisted one afternoon in the Borson's Arms that I play video games to improve my health. I, I think, exactly. I think he did that just after buying me four pints of Guinness. Uh, he's not a doctor anymore, I believe. Um, <laughs> I'm not suggesting he's been struck off. He's just not a doctor. He's just retired. Uh, hello, Martin. Thank you for the weekly reviews. We do appreciate them. And thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them by making a small monthly contribution to the pod, that would be very kind of you. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. We are off for a very short 10-day break, but we will be back on Thursday with that wonderful interview with Chloe Horrocks, who organises the trouble at Manchester United. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you as always. Um, The reason why we're doing the shows, even if we're not physically here, is because you seem to like the shows. So we we, we had a chat amongst ourselves and uh, we we decided to to spend a couple of evenings. um, For me, a rock and roll night is standing in front of a computer at 10 o'clock on a Sunday or a Friday. Uh, but I think for, for Kevin and Guy, that they are making far a far greater sacrifice. Um, you can support the show via Patreon. Uh, you can support the show in another way by, by giving us a review. And you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Roman Abramovich and Dr. Robert from The Blow Monkeys. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not going to be the first mention of Dr. Robert of the Blow Monkeys in the following week. That's a, that's a teaser for everybody, isn't it? Okay, we, we, we are doing the pods while we're away, uh, partly, as you say, because we love our listeners, but partly because uh, if we had two weeks off, I wouldn't trust half of them not to come back. Basically, <laughs> Bye, everybody. Love you. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the fall.